This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining in again to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Today, my guest is Carol Barsky. She is an international adoptive mama of one daughter. She is going to share her story of how she got into this adoption world and what it looks like to be mostly on the other side of the hardest years. Her daughter is almost 21, and we're going to talk about mentoring and discipling and how important it is to find someone to walk through this with, whether you're a seasoned adoptive mama or if you're just getting into it, find someone on the other end of that spectrum and just meet up with them as often as possible and and trust them with those hard things and be ready to encourage and disciple if you're on the other end of it. I can't wait for you to hear her story and she's just such a pleasure to know. So let's jump right in. Um. So, okay, tell us a little bit about, about yourself, your family, stuff like that. Um, okay, years ago, um, there was an event in my life that brought me in contact with the local crisis pregnancy center. We were living in California and it was uh, someone that was close to me. And so I had firsthand um, knowledge of watching how kind of an adoptive process worked through an unplanned pregnancy. And because of that, I went to work as a volunteer at the local crisis pregnancy center. And about two years after that, I started dating my husband. And that was just one of the things that... um, you know, God used to bring us together. And as we progressed in that, we talked about family and had always assumed we would have our own kids, but we also assumed that because of that, we would also adopt. It would be a mixed family. And so we got married and um, I got pregnant about five years later and I promptly had a miscarriage and then just couldn't get pregnant. And so we, um, we were living in Oregon at the time. And we were getting older, and so one day, this little tiny blurb, basically, that's like one by two inch square, appeared in our local paper, and it had a 1-800 number for a clearinghouse for adoptions, and so I cut it out thinking, oh, that'd be a good number to call. It kind of put a lot of different information together to do that, and so I approached my husband, and wasn't quite ready. We were still kind of grieving over the miscarriage, so we kind of put it off to the side, and it stayed in this little bowl, decorative bowl we had on our dining room table or kitchen table, whatever table it was. And oh, so you actually cut it out? I actually cut it out. Wow, that's actually like <laughs> super cool, though. It was. It was like one by three or one by two. It's a little teeny piece. So I cut it out, <laughs> stuck it in this little decorative bowl. And two months later, we moved from Oregon to Texas, and it was still in our bowl when we got to our place in Texas. Wow. So about that time, he said, let's explore it. So that is what we did. Um, You explored it. Yeah, we called him. Kind of in the meantime, we had been um, kind of talking about to family about it. And you know, there were some questions, are you sure this is the thing to do, and yada, yada. So we, we did do one last thing. We went to a, basically a fertility doctor in Houston, and um, it was, for me, it was a no-brainer. It was an hour and a half drive from where we lived to Whew. where this doctor was in North Houston. And we had one car at the time, and <laughs> it would have meant me having to make that hour and a half drive one way three times a week, um, you know, with a maybe a 30% chance to be poked and prodded, right? Oh, to be shot up with all the hormones. I probably, they said I probably would have ended up in the hospital just from reactions to it. Goodness. And then came the, the best part of it was, um, you know, since that a lot of times you had multiple, multiples would happen, we would have to deal with selective reduction, which was another way of just basically aborting however many you didn't want. Goodness. Yeah. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I got in the car, and I didn't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So How that, did Roy take that? Well, he was going through all the different, well, what about this, and what about that? And gosh, we could think of this. And I just said, do you want to know what I think? I don't want to do this. And as soon as I said, I don't want to do it, he's like, good, let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we did. So, And it was good because we talked, once we talked to family and kind of explained that, you know, we had explored that route. And it just wasn't going to work. They, especially when they heard some of the stuff that it would have taken in terms of the time commitment and 
the distance and the money and the just the health issues, and they were all for it. And I just really, as much as we wanted kids, I did not want my life to be consumed. That was not the end all to end all things. And I just thought, I don't want to be so consumed that I can't enjoy what God has given us. And I had been around people that couldn't even be around other people's babies. And I just did not want that for me. And so I was thankful that God answered that prayer in that way. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I mean, not to jump ahead of your story, but you were you were a little bit later in life than most yes, moms we at that older. point mm-hmm. too, right? Right. Did that play a factor in anything? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to be parents before we were 40. <laughs> but, you know, and that was a very minimal part of it. But it, yeah. it did play part of it. And I, but I do, I honestly think for, at least for me, was I, we knew we wanted to be parents, but we did not want to be consumed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a certain amount of money we could spend, and we would rather have spent that knowing we would end up with a child than not knowing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so that kind of answers my question, because I was going to ask where your heart with God was in all of this, but you say you had a piece about it. Oh, yeah. Totally. That's amazing. Totally. And actually, when we had lived in Portland, that had been a prayer request. After we I, we had miscarried and we were still trying to get pregnant, um, I was around people that just could, were trying to get pregnant and they just could not do anything in life. And one gal I was with one day, I just said, what were you doing? I said, oh, I'm going to a baby shower. And she just I can't do that. I mean, I, I can't even enjoy my friends being pregnant. And hmm. it just, I grieved for her because it cut her off. And I was just, and I had prayed and I was so thankful that God had answered that because not only actually was I going to the shower, I had helped plan it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really big deal. It was. Because I was, know people that can't do baby showers either. And I just did not want Mm-hmm. that to ever be the case. And and I think just having worked at the Crisis Pregnancy Center and that really, really did help. And so I was grateful for that. And That's, I mean, I don't think I knew that you had worked at a crisis pregnancy center. And I feel like you've just had so much life experience. Like every time I talk to you, I hear about something else that you've done or <laughs> somewhere else you've been. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's much longer younger than she looks. I recently found out how old she actually is, and it's it's not believable. Um, but anyway, okay, so what was the next step for you guys? We called that 800 number, and um, they sent us a – it was a really nicely bound little 8.5 by 11 soft down book, and we went through it, and we just – you know, we at that time, we, we also knew a couple things, I guess, to back up the train a little bit. Um, we both – were leaning more towards like um, Eastern Europe type things. We we knew we could do domestic, and we knew we had um, international. And international was kind of becoming big at the time. And at that point, we're talking 21, 22 years ago now. Um, domestic at the at that point was pretty much an issue of good, better, best. Mm. Where international, especially where we were looking at in Russia and Romania, was life or death. Wow. And so that was part of it. The other part was even though. Um, we didn't have a problem with our child ever, you know, exploring their birth family. We wanted to have some control over that. We did mm-hmm. not, we weren't opposed to open adoption. We just didn't want necessarily birth families showing up in the teenage years when you're already dealing with so much. Right. And the other thing was too, at that time we had two different people that we knew of through friends, friends of friends that were going through the uh, domestic adoption agency stuff. And, both of these families ended up trying to adopt children that were of American Indian blood. Mm. And um, I don't know now, but then that if you had American Indian blood in you, the Indian nation basically would claim them as their own. Yeah. And so they were, both of these families were almost with the entire adoption process. And then they had to go to court and they lost. Yeah, it was no joke. Yeah, no joke. And so we just did not want to um, have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And and good, better, or best, I mean, we knew there was tragic stories in the United States, but it wasn't necessarily from most of these, from what we could tell at that time, life right. or death. And we knew it was life or death over there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and they weren't, that's what I was about to say, like, even if they had special needs, they were going to be at least manageably taken care of. Yeah, manage much more than that. And and for those that are hearing this that may be a little bit older, they'll probably remember back in the... Um, Late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s, the stories coming out of Romania with the PET or CAT scans, whatever the scans they were doing on these kids' brains and mm. no development. And just, it was just, it was horrific what well, was being done. And so, 
Oh, I mean, and talk to us a little bit about that, because I know, I mean, I don't know a ton, but I know that just a lot of Eastern European countries, those kids are bedridden. And oh, yeah. They yeah, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. they get no human interaction unless nope. they're maybe adopted. Yep. And so, well, and that time, too, is, you know, the political situation makes a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Romania was open, closed, open, closed, open, closed, open, closed. And you never knew what you were going to get. You'd get there and the kids may be sicker than all get out. They may not be around. You'd get there and then the Romanian government would say, oh, by the way, they have X number of siblings. You'd need to take them all. Yeah. And adoption bios are, are not always the truth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and even that was the case with Russia. Yeah. And so we knew that. And. My husband has Russian blood in him, but he'd also coach Romanian gymnasts. And um, Oh, yeah, her husband's a gymnastics coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so he actually had, when we lived in Oregon, he coached one of the um, part of, uh, lower end part of the Romanian national team that had pretty much defected. And That's so, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So he was, I was more towards the Russian end. He was more towards the Romanian. And then Romania shut down, so it just became a moot point. Yeah. And so that would our we were intrigued with that. That was Russia was our thing. And you know, and I think it was one of the questions I'm gonna jump ahead. You've asked about advice. And you know, even at that time a lot of people were doing a lot of China. They're going to China, a lot of those places, mm-hmm. and our heart was not there. And and I think I guess I would say that if you're God's gonna put on your heart where your interest is and what it is, and don't be afraid to follow that. Don't just because everybody's doing it from one country doesn't mean you have to do it from there. The need was just as great in Russia as it was in China, as it was probably in Guatemala or some other place. And mm-hmm. so um, we we stuck with it with that. And I think people were surprised, but that was where our heart was. Yeah. So um, so obviously we, we chose Ru- Russia, uh-huh. but that's come out. So. And just like, well, let me back up a sec. So when we yeah, got this, yeah. when we got this nice little clearinghouse thing, we went through it, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was very helpful in terms of countries um, restrictions for not just the country, but for the birth parents. Some people didn't want, you know, that some countries didn't want you to come to their country to adopt if you had kids of your own. Some of them didn't want you if you were over thirty. Some of them, so that was helpful in terms of helping us narrow it. So we could we found um, three adoption agencies that we thought would work. So we contacted them. One, we never heard anything from. (laughs) So whatever. The next one, they sent us a boatload of information. And by boatload, it was overwhelming. We couldn't even look through it. Wow. It was just too much. And and they were a great agency, but it just, for us, was just, we didn't, we just, it was too much. It was mind-boggling. And then we had a third one. And it was, we were living in outside of Houston at the time. And it actually was a law firm in Dallas. She did adoptive law and had somehow been in contact with someone in Russia for years, a few years past and had started this adoption agency. And they were the ones. And it was just, so that's who we went with. We decided to go with them. That's good so, that your options were clear. Yeah, very clear. We had no doubt. I mean, yeah. it was just very, no problem at all. No problem at all. So it didn't take very long. At that time, the political situation um, in Russia was... Um, Yeltsin was still in power, mm-hmm. and he was kind of sick at the time. And the adoptions had been going on for a while um, under him and under previous presidents or whatever they called them. I don't remember <laughs> <laughs> whatever they were presidents in quotes. <laughs> yeah, in quotes. And um, he had kind of loosened it up. Uh, one of the big things about taking adopting kids from Russia was you could not adopt healthy kids. And so they made up all these crazy diagnoses of these problems that these adoptive kids could have. And of course it's in Russian, so then you try to translate it into English and you're you know <laughs> these made up diagnoses. So when we came, when we did it, um, he had loosened up a lot. We still had a few little ones, but from the, it was a much easier. We really hit an amazing window yeah. in the history of being able to adopt from Russia. And so we um, did all the stuff that we needed to do and what they, is that, what was that? I mean, I obviously know the domestic side, but what what is it? Well, probably probably like in a, probably like domestic. We had to be fingerprinted. You know, I had to have a uh, nationwide FBI background check. Mm-hmm. We had to do the home study. We had to do interviews. Um, we had to get probably some references. We had a social worker come down. We had to go up to Dallas a couple times. Um, that was pretty much it. See, that's that's a little more extensive than... Oh, is it? Okay. I mean, we didn't have to do interviews. We didn't have to do the home study, and there was an interview there. But. Yeah, we had to do something up in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the fingerprint thing, which was right. not a big deal. And um, we, you know, we kind of had to choose, well, I guess we'll take a boy versus a girl. And then we just, well, you just waited. We waited until the Russian contact had sent videos and tapes back to our contact in Dallas and then 
they kind of went through them and then kind of picked. And so we got this video of this little girl who at the time was five months old. And that was pretty much it. We knew. We knew it was her. And there was, when we went over, there was actually four families that were doing it. There was another couple from Dallas that was doing it along with us. And about the same time that we said, yes, we're going to take these kids, we, about three weeks later, we got a call from the adoption agency that said, sorry, the kids aren't available. And we did not know the couple in Dallas was also going through it at the time. We found out a little bit later. We were devastated. I mean, we were glad that... She was going to a home, but we were devastated because in our mind, she was ours. Mm-hmm. And then about a month, three weeks to a month later, we got another call from the adoption agency. Oh, she's available, and it's not for medical reasons. And all the us and the other family in Dallas, I think all we could really figure out was what we think happened was another adoption agency had put dibs, I guess, mm. on the, our daughter and their son. Um, when they really didn't have anybody for them. And when it came down to having to do whatever they needed to do, couldn't do it. Yeah. So that was fine with us. We were... <laughs> yeah, but how... I mean, that that's great that that agency chose that over pride. Yeah. Because they could have just been like, the kid can rot in an orphanage. Well, they could have gotten in trouble, I think, because they lied. Oh, They had gotcha. lied about... They had... I th- well, I, that's what we think. We don't... Oh, so I should be careful. So don't... So that's for sure what happened. But we think... You haven't named names or anything. Yeah, and so I don't even it. know the name of it. I don't even know where it was. It wasn't <laughs> even in Texas. But that's what we think happened. And right. so if they had continued on, it would have damaged their reputation and mm. so they had to let them go and so which was great so we yeah. from the time we got the phone call it was the end of may i guess they told us in april we had them then we took the beginning of may we didn't and then the end of may they said oh they're available and they said we're going to send you send your packet because our whole packet the dossier everything was done we're going to overnight it to russia it should get there in three to five days <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> overnight it all takes a you know i guess depending on the country. Yeah. And we were actually going on vacation the next day. We were leaving (laughs) for a vacation. Of course you were. were, Yeah, we were going to Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. And so we told our adoption agency, you know, we're on vacation. Here's the number at the desk of the resort we're staying at. Um, If you need us, call us, but we'll talk to you when we get back. Yeah. And, you know, pre-cell phone days. I was about to say pre-cell phone days. Yeah, pre-cell phone days, people. (laughs) And um, Monday we get a phone call. We have a court date. In 13 wow. days. And we're like, what? What? So, <laughs> so the first inclination was, we're going to go home. It's like, no, we don't have to go on vacation. We, everything we needed to have done, we could do from where we were. We needed to get visas, but you couldn't, we couldn't get a visa until we had the invitation from the Russian government. And oh so gosh. it didn't matter whether we were in Missouri or Texas because we had like, we had to have that visa within like less than five days. And the only way to do that was via mail to New York City. So it didn't matter. We, did, we didn't have to go home to do that. Right. You know, we could go clothes shopping there in Missouri where we were. I mean, they had outlet stores that, you know, Laura, Laura Ashley store we went in to get our first outfit. Oh, my so, gosh. Oh, I so, I mean, what was your emotional state at this point? Oh, were we you were just so excited. And were we were on cloud nine. We were on cloud nine. It was like, oh, my gosh. And <laughs> it was pretty cool because we had to go to the front desk at the resort and say, we explained to them what was going on. They were so excited for us. They were willing to do, oh, we'll make sure if you have to UPS or Federal Express, we'll let you know. Of course, anybody wow. can call. You can use our fax machines. And we we had to call some friends on Monday morning and say, go break go break into our house. <laughs> Get our checkbook <laughs> that, has, awesome. that had that fund money in it. And so they overnighted it to us. And so we just did what we needed to do there and um, got everything done, came home at the end of the week, did had our vacation, but, you know, kind of had some added stuff. You know, did our expedited visas, um, and it was a killer to have to buy our plane tickets to Moscow in June with 10 days' notice. I mean, Goodness. heat travel. I mean, that was just outrageous. So we got home, and we basically unpacked from vacation and kind of repacked to go to Russia. Our our church, our youth group gave us a shower. Um, oh. oh, it was so sweet. It was just uh, it was amazing. They were so amazing about That's it. That's adorable. Then it was like they kind of claimed us around, too. yeah. And it, the, we knew this going into it that any clothes we wanted for her, we had to bring. That whatever she had on there would not come home with us. And the reality is, we didn't want it anyways. We took one look at it, it didn't even fit her. So, wow. You know, you had to bring t- um, toys if you wanted. We had to bring our own diapers because we just didn't know where stuff was and formula and bottles. And they said, just bring it just in case, stroller. And 
So we had to lug all that stuff. I was about to say, that's a that's an expensive <laughs> luggage fee right there. Well, they didn't have those fees then. Oh, what? I, you know, you're talking 20 years ago. I, I mean, I understand, but I was young then, and yeah. I didn't fly till I was 22. So Yeah, no, it wasn't too bad. So we left um, we left Houston and flew to Dallas and met the other couple. The other other two couples, one was Cal- from California, one was from Florida. We did not meet them there. So we flew to Dallas, and then we were going to fly from Dallas to Moscow. And our plane left Dallas late, oh, which goodness. meant that when we got into Paris, which is where our connecting flight was, we had missed our flight mm. from Paris to Moscow. So we got to wait in the airport for a while, caught our flight, got into Moscow a couple hours later, and it was later at night. And we had the, we got there and it was amazing. Oh my gosh. It just, the stories kind of you hear about communist Russia, I mean, because it hadn't been, this was only in the late 90s and it had not been free that long, really. Mm. But you could see this airport we flew into had been built um, for the Olympics when it was there and, you know, kind of the glory of communism and, it was very interesting. We got off the plane and walked out. There's nobody around. And that was when you could still go. People could, you know, meet you at the gate and the airports. And right. So you were used to all these people at the gates. There was nobody around. You'd walk through these little columns that were set up with, like, glass dividers. Like, there was, like, many little offices there with computers, like, the old Apple computers were sitting there. Weren't plugged in. All dusty, but it looked efficient. It looked, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was dirty. And it was just dusty. It was just, had been sitting there. You could tell nothing worked. Yeah. And then we, they funneled us down these stairs and it got really dark and the lights were, and it, what I honestly to this day still think of is they had taken old shells, ammunition shells that probably holes about five or six inches and it put them up and the lights were in there. And so it was dark and you kind of came down into this funnel down into this area where you were met with this mass of humanity speaking all these kinds of languages because <laughs> there's no carts for your luggage. There's no porters, really. There's no, you just walked out and whoever was there was there to help you, quote unquote, with your stuff. Yeah. Wow. And we got a really good guy. I'm not even sure where he was. I don't, I'm not even sure if he was originally Russian, <laughs> but he was so protective of us. And That's awesome. He stayed with us, and he tried to get a friend. We tried to call the phone number. And what we found out later was that other two that had flown in from California and um, Florida had gotten there at the same time. And their plane had gotten there like 15 minutes before our delayed plane. And the contact in Russia had only arranged for two drivers. So they were at the <laughs> airport. And so... The other two couples got there before us. If the timing had worked out, we would have they would have picked us up, taken us back to Moscow, come back and picked them up. It would not. It would have been seamless, but it wasn't because the airport was an hour from downtown Moscow, where Goodness. we were. So we ended up waiting um, at the Moscow airport for two or three hours. Couldn't go to the restrooms by ourselves, which were was this appropriate little hole? I mean, we literally had there were literally <laughs> holes on the ground. <laughs> Little places to put your feet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That sounds like sensory overload yeah. in so many ways. And, you know, just the culture that got to walk by at night. And it was very eye-opening. And it was interesting. And so the guy was fabulous. He protected us. He wouldn't let anybody come near us and made sure nobody tried to steal anything from us. And <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it was good. So we we got to our places. And we spent two days in Moscow, two, three, two and a half, three days doing some stuff. And then we took a plane to um, Krasnodar, which is a... Big city on the um, near the Black Sea, and it was kind of a resortish area. And just hmm. for people now, that's this area that Putin is from. Was from this general area huh. where the President Putin was from. So we were there, and the three of us were adopting babies. The fourth one was adopting little older kids from a different place, and so we went to the orphanage. Or actually, they were in medical. They were in a medical facility. Wow. So sometimes they would um, go to. An orphanage, and sometimes they would stay in a medical facility until they were two. So our our kids were in this medical facility where they had been born. And um, I think the Russian contact we had, she knew someone. She she had family connections in the courtroom and in the hospital. So we got to meet them. Next day, we went to court, um, did our bit in court, which that's a whole other story. Yeah. And then... Then we went. Then we went um, and picked the kiddos up and brought them back to our hotel room. And you know, all of us promptly gave them baths and yeah, you know, tried to get them to feed. And that was hard because um, with that many kids, they would drink a bottle of milk in like two minutes. So, they, mm-hmm. so we all found we had to make the hole in the nipples bigger for the formula. Well, they're probably used to that because they do yeah. that to make the beatings quicker, quicker, quicker. Yeah, and she was starving. Oh. 
she was starving. Well, and I mean, let's back up a little bit. So let's talk about the first time you like laid your eyes on her. Well, so one of our prayers, because we knew what it was like over there that we didn't want to abandon. It was just, God, just do something that she gets attention. Yeah. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> this is a good story. Is, and so, yeah, if you know her, Nick told him. So anyway, so <laughs> there was three families. We had her, the other family from Dallas had a little boy, and that's a, one, the family from California was adopting twin girls. So one by one, they brought the kiddos out. And so, and that whole time there was commotion going on, and we could hear kids, babies crying in the background, but especially one. And so they brought out the little boy, and then, and then they brought out the first little twin girl, and then the second little twin girl. So we're just still sitting there waiting. <laughs> <laughs> waiting, waiting. Listen to this one baby cry. And then finally they bring her out, and it turns out she had been the one that had been crying. <laughs> and we thought, well, that's just God answered our prayer for getting tension. <laughs> And so it was just, she was a cute little thing. I mean, she just, you know, she didn't have a lot of hair. And you could tell that um, the little one PC, onesie little PC thing that she, sleeper thing that she was in was too small. Her legs were pulled up. She couldn't even stretch them out. And even at that point, we could um, see in her arms, she had little muscles in her arms, even at uh, eight months old. Wow. They were in um, a crib, kind of like what an old playpen that were kind of when when some of the older people listening might remember were the... It was square, and the the middle part would fold down. He could fold it up, and, but it was wood. And so they had spent their whole time pulling themselves up because they couldn't use their legs. And oh, so, wow. So we we played with them. We fed them. And, you know, the nurses and doctors hovered, and everything was hunky-dory. And we left and went to court the next day. Wow. Yeah. So. So, okay. So that's your adoption story, yeah. and it's a good one. So her name is? So her name is Leah. So one of the interesting things about our adoption agency was they were really big about wanting to keep their Russian culture, including their names. And, you know, that was kind of, that was probably about the whole story. That, for me, believe it or not, was the hardest thing that I would not be able to name my own baby. Mm. Which I know sounds silly, but that was the one thing that really, really... No, I think hard. Yeah, especially when you didn't have any biological children. So those names that you'd been thinking about since you were a kid. Yeah. And even had picked out for the baby we miscarried. You know, it was like, oh. And I remember turning to my husband at one point, just kind of resignedly saying, you know, there's a lot of beautiful names in Russia, you know, Katarina and, you know, just, they're beautiful. I can live with it as long as her name's not Olga. (laughs) Guess what? Guess what? <laughs> you know, I don't go over there as like Anne over here, but I knew what it was like here, you know. But when we had gotten the, the video of her, the diminutive nickname for Olga in um, Russia is Olia, O-L-I-A. So we decided to keep that to satisfy the um, cultural thing and then call, we call her Leah and we spell it L-I-A. From so that. is her name legally Leah Olia. or that's Olia. 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 Interesting. I don't I don't think I knew that actually. Yeah, so that was it. And we did have to do a, a name come change correct spelling thing when we came back to the States because they didn't get it right. Oh, I guess at that point we could have made it legal, but we just we kept it there for just for that. And so her name's Leah. Yep. And she's almost twenty one. <laughs> <laughs> um and she's in college. Yep. In college in Colorado. And so this is, I mean, that's, that's your only child, that yep, right? That's, that's it. Yep. But, um, from what I hear, she keeps you pretty busy. Yep. Very busy. <laughs> she still is that kiddo that <laughs> isn't going to get lost. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, okay. What was, I mean, what was the hardest part of this whole process? Because you got her as a baby, but international still has its, you know, its own, uh, brand of issues, but you know, I, me and you have talked about trauma and we've talked about just different different adoption issues that make parenting different than your friends. I mean, it's just never going to be the same. So what are some of those trials that you guys faced? We knew that um, there would be attachment issues um, just because it takes a while. And we knew that we had been told that um, at some point they would, the kids figure it out that your mom and dad, that not everybody is, and that we would know. They would know, when, one, when the kids hit the jackpot in terms of not being in an orphan in your medical clinic, one, and two, when they were your kiddos. And for us, her hitting the jackpot in terms of knowing that she was no longer at the orphanage was when we finally got home. And it was a horrific trip home just because it took so many hours, and it was just unbearable. And, and even when we got to Houston, finally, after a you know, plane flight from Moscow to Paris, missed the plane, had to run... <laughs> hot 
you know, on the airplane, we're in a huge plane from Paris to Houston, but the people kept, my husband would hold her to try to get her to sleep and they would keep knocking his arm and it'd wake her up. And, you know, 30 minutes outside of Houston, this day told us, oh, you know, there's the, the crib, the little net thing. And we could have come down for babies, you know, after an eight hour flight or whatever. Yeah, gosh. Whatever. Yeah. Thanks. So we get to Houston, you know, and, and, and this was hard for, so if any of the people listening do international adoption, just, I guess this would be one thing is that. We get her to Houston, and so she's tired. She's hot. There are all the sights and sounds. I mean, you know, it kind of batters us, but you got a little eight-month-old. And every sight, every sound, the language, the, the sound of language, yeah, the smells are totally different. Well, she's basically listening to gibberish. Like, yeah, in totally. Her mind. Everything is, the weather was different. And then we had to put her in a car seat. <laughs> Did she think you were actually murdering her? Oh my gosh, it was awful. She <laughs> cried for an hour and a half home from the airport. I mean, she oh, just cried. Baby. We got her back to our apartment. We walked in, and I think that just really, she just, I mean, she got worse. It just, you could tell she was afraid. Mm. And we just walked around and did everything we could. And uh, she probably finally just got so tired that she kind of calmed down. And at that point, I was sitting on the couch. My husband had her. And we had, you know, of course, we had done all the big thing about getting the crib and the blanket and all that stuff. And so I was sitting on that couch with the blanket, and he gave her to me. And she felt the blanket, which is actually the comforter to her cute little um, Peter Rabbit set. And and you could see it was the most, I'll I'll never forget it. She just kind of touched it a little bit tentatively and then a little bit more. And then she kind of grabbed it. And then she's like, she just realized that every bit of the crying stopped. She literally dove head first into this blanket, kind of scooped it up in her arms and had this biggest smile on her face. And that was it. Oh, that's so sweet. And I mean, not to tell your story, but the toys that you had given her in Russia, she had nothing to do with. Yes, we had brought a couple toys with us to Russia that she loved in Russia. Came home, never touched them again. We brought a blanket with us to Russia, never touched it again. So it's like she knew, like that was the old, this is the new. Yeah, even though she was eight months and one week. She knew. She never would have had nothing to do with that blanket. She never wanted to touch that toy again, ever. Wow. That's, I mean, but that's so perceptive and that's such, that's such a God thing. Like, yeah, that's, totally. That's really cool. And her little blanket, she named it, you know, I used to, to try to wash it. Oh my gosh. You know, I would have to sneak it away and um, it'd be about halfway through the wash cycle when she would finally figure it out. And she literally would sit in front of the washing machine and cry. <laughs> oh. And I would tell her, you know, honey, it needs a bath. It needs a bath. It needs to be dried off. And she'd cry, 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 cry. Because she knew that was that was one of the things. And I think maybe that's just it. And then that would be along with the attachment. There was something that was there that that really showed him. And it took a long time to wean her off that. Mm. Um, we still have the blanket. Of course, it has no color and it's threadbare. <laughs> But we've got that thing. Yeah. And, and um, you know, and, and just, I think that was it. There will be something. And and there was a one point where we recognized, and she recognized, that we weren't just all these other people in our church who were amazing. Oh, my gosh. They just loved on her. And we had our youth group at the time. I mean, these kids, if you were to ask them now, they're all grown, you know, in their 30s with kids of their own. It's like they have this special bond. It's like she was kind of part of their first one. And, and oh, just, so it is sweet. so sweet. It's so sweet. And um, that that was just amazing. But um, and she loved men with beards. Just loved men with beards. And so, but and so she would go to them, especially men with beards. And we had one friend who was an ex football player, big guy, and kids were afraid of him and fearless. He just thought it was the coolest thing that she would come straight to him and just you know snuggle on his arms and pull out his beard. That's that's hilarious because I remember when I was younger distinctly being afraid of men with beards, and I married a man. I've never seen him beardless, and so now Jane loves men with beards because her daddy has has a beard, and it's just so funny because I was like terrified. Yeah, but she'd never really seen it. But there's something about it, and I think this goes to part of that um, the developmental stuff Mm -hmm. because one of the things that we did see her do in Russia, and we did have some people come and look. She would just take her little finger and scratch everything, every little texture, every little thing that was different. Mm. And they did explain to us it was a sensory thing. Yeah. No, which we did not know anything about that. And so I think that was part of it with the beard was there was a sensory thing there. There was, yeah, it felt good. And, and, and she did stop a lot of that after we'd had her for a while, just because, you know, she had enough stuff around her to keep Right. Her. She got used to that, just yeah. sensory needs being met in normal life, right, not having right. to get it extra. And, I mean, we're dealing with that, too, with rock, and we see that deep pressure helps him, and Clark, too. But um, So I'm, I'm interested to hear, do you remember what her, quote, medical condition was? Oh, gosh, no. 
No. And we took it. We had a great pediatrician. We lived in a small town in Texas. We had a great pediatrician, and we took it to him, and he just laughed. <laughs> I mean, I have it I at home. It. I probably could have looked it up. And I don't even know if it even translated into English. And, <laughs> and I think basically what we came to the conclusion was she was just small. This is so interesting to me because I didn't know that that was a thing that yeah. they had to yeah. make up some. Yeah, they made it because she had a couple diagnoses. Yeah, that's so crazy. You know, and and you know they did all the normal stuff. I mean, as best you can from videos and pictures, and they measured. We had the they had sent the head circumference and all that kind of stuff along with the the documents we had gotten, and it was normal. I mean, she was just skinny. She was just a skinny little thing. Yeah. You know? Well, and she's, I mean, she's tall now. Yeah. Like, that did not stick around. She's, no, no. It was amazing. So, when we got her to the doctor. We didn't get her to the doctor until she was nine months old just because of the time we got back. And then yeah. he got back from vacation. And she'd been eating like a horse. Every three hours, <laughs> she would suck a bottle down. I could have fed her more. No, no cereal. The texture thing was a big deal. And, you know, we tried a little bit to keep her a little bit more food in her when we were in Russia. But... You know, we had limited clothes and not a lot of washing machine service. And when they throw up on you by the second time, you're like, it's it's gonna wait till you get home. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. So, um, when we got her home at nine months, she was nine months old and she weighed 15 pounds, and that was she had put weight on. Wow. And she was in the fifth percentile height and weight. And so then we had to go back every two months, basically to bring her up on her vaccinations and stuff. And so the next month, she was 25% height and weight. Wow. So two months later, so at four months, she was 50%. <laughs> and six months, she was 75% height and weight. And then shortly after, we had her back. And she stayed at 75% weight because she was very lean. But she went to 95th percentile height. Goodness. Yeah. So she, when she was two, she was three feet tall, 36 inches. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. And her teeth, she had like all, like all her teeth. So we got her like eight months and... Within a few months, two months maybe, she had like four teeth. Goodness. And her hair went from being very short to a mm-hmm. couple. It was very, very, very curly, so you couldn't tell until you pulled it out. But it was a couple inches long. I mean, literally like in two or three months. Wow. Just from food. That's awesome. But, yeah. I mean, that's such a testimony to what, like, just stability yes, can do for can these do. kids. And and I think so many people are afraid of that, uh, of international adoption. And, honestly, it's a, it is a little daunting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's understandable. I mean, especially with older kids because they're, they're, the attachment issues are just astronomical with older kids. And we knew that. And that was, well, that was one of the things we were grateful that we really wanted a baby. Mm-hmm. And even at eight months. I mean, we saw issues, but nothing like when they get older, even past two. Yeah. We just did not have... A lot of that stuff. Goodness. Well, okay. So you're clearly seasoned at this. I mean, she's tw- almost 21. Almost 21. Right. And um, she. so I've, I've met Leah once, and she's actually going to be on the show in a future episode. So I'm super excited about that, just to get it from... From someone who's been adopted, that perspective. perspective, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, she, I've met her, and she's uh, totally as much of a spitfire as you say she is, but in such a good way. Like, yeah. she's a cool person. Um, but so you're seasoned at this, you understand, and I don't know that you were seeking out to be in a mentor position for another adoptive mama, but here you are. (laughs) So what, I mean, what do you think about that? I just think it's amazing how God works. Yeah. I'm never in a, I mean, not that I was against it. I just never entered my realm of thought that that would be something that would ever, like I would ever use that. I mean, I don't know why I wouldn't think that because I know that. He gives us things in our life to prepare us for things later on in life. And so why would he not use that in that manner? But I just, it just never really entered my mind. Yeah. But I mean, and that's awesome. That's, that's awesome that you're, that I feel like we are always given surprising ways that God uses our situations. And at the time, I mean, obviously you've had 21 years of like, this is really hard to <laughs> to go uh, through. And I guarantee you during some of those things, you weren't like, this is going to be a great story for later. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we had uh, we had the support of our church family, especially when we lived in Texas. I mean, it was phenomenal. It really was. And we had the support of our family. They were in California. So there was the distance that made it, that did make a little bit of a difficulty there. But we never felt, except for one instance, where we did not have any support from any relative, you know, immediate or distant. I did have one um, aunt and uncle who um, they did not have any kids of their own mm-hmm. and just could not fathom how you could love some uh, somebody else's child. <laughs> and they, they had asked me that. They weren't upset. They weren't mad. They just They just didn't understand and that for us that was probably the biggest negative of all which is really nothing mm-hmm. and it was just a real testimony i think to how god really does do that because from the moment they met her oh they fell in love with her 
Yeah. They absolutely, absolutely fell in love with her. And I don't know if they ever thought about what they had said or how could you do it, but it was just, that was the only negative thing in that sense. And it was just neat to see how God redeemed that even in their lives, that they saw you can love this person. And, you know, my grandma, it was her great-granddaughter. I mean, that was, she just, you know, she was 94 years old and got to meet her (laughs) great-granddaughter. That's so sweet, Yeah, it was very cool. So what would you say, I mean, because I can imagine that someone, I mean, just people come up to me and act like I'm some wise person just because I have adopted and I don't feel like that at all. So, I mean, I can imagine not to say that you don't think you're wise, but what would you say to other women who are like, I could never mentor a younger adoptive mama because I didn't do well at it or I don't know what I'm talking about. Or well, anything. I still don't feel like we've done well. So <laughs> I would just say, you know what? Change the word to mentor. Just be an encourager because you have walked a path and you do have experience that they do not have. Mm-hmm. And whether you think it's there or not, you have something to share. Yeah. I mean, period. And that's really, it's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be whatever. And, and, I never expected anybody I've ever asked about parenting to to be perfect. And so I would, I don't think you think I would be perfect, but you know, we, that's how we learn. And it's not just to tell your story. Yeah. This is your story and we blow it and we redeem things and God has redeemed things in her life that, you know, I know it was a gay grace gift to us. (laughs) So I, I would say, just say that, just tell your story and just be willing to share your life. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the best things I've learned from you are just like, um, I wouldn't say normal parenting things, but kind of like tips and tricks. Like, well, here's what we did. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. But especially it's so nice just from my point of view to be able to talk to someone who gets it Mm -hmm. because I mean, we know rock, rock is hard and not everyone understands that, you know, other parents at church are just like, yeah, no, that's just the kid that pushes my kid. And I just want to be like, but here's why. <laughs> Let me explain all this to you. Yeah. But then you get it. Yeah. And, you know, and for as much as we did have support, there were things that would come up when she was little that, um, you know, looking back now, we figured out that, you know, I think some of these kids, they just have insecurity because, you know, and Satan loves to get in there and do whatever. And, you know, we never showered her with anything but love and acceptance. And we celebrate Gotcha Day because we weren't there for birthday day. And it's not just Gotcha Day for her. It's Gotcha Day for us. We got her. She got us. We got to be a family. And, yeah. you know, it's a big deal. And um, But there's still that element, I think, sometimes for some of them of just insecurity that their value and worth because somebody, for whatever reason, chose or had to give them up. And so they must not have been. And so... I think there were some things that came out even as a kid that we did not understand at the time that Mm. looking back and it did cause confusion because she would do things that normal families, kids didn't have to do, didn't do because they were born into it. Right. Um, And, you know, along with the sensory stuff was things that just didn't make sense to some people. Um, She could not listen, look, go to fireworks without cotton balls in her ear until she was almost 12 years old. Because wow. the noise was too much. She, I could not take her shopping because the visual stimulation just overwhelmed her. It was just choices because yeah. they weren't given choices. Yeah. And just, but it's, but it's that sensory overload. And, mm. and I can remember um, when we put her into kindergarten, our friend of ours was the principal and he put her in this one particular class. And, you know, and everybody else said, no, you want this other teacher. And, and he's like, no, this is who you want. And don't get me wrong, I loved, I loved the teacher he had. And he nailed the teacher for her. But it was cool for me when I walked into the other teacher's classroom. They had, we were separated a um, couple months into school, and there was she had the cutest little kindergarten room, but there was stuff everywhere from this hanging from the ceilings wow. on the walls. And, you know, the kindergarten room she was in was, was cute, but it was clean. It was neat. And she would not have, she would have died in that class just mm-hmm. from all that sensory overload. And so, you know, sometimes how that would play itself out and where in a Walmart or something, people didn't always understand that I knew that that's what it was from. And so, you know, I know one of the questions she said, what was, what it was harder than we think? I mean, we knew that there would be attachment issues. We didn't know how it would look. We knew there would be some things. We didn't know what it was. And so then we figured out the sensory, but you didn't really know as she got older in different stages, different things would do it. And so. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's such a problem with adoptive moms is that we, we think to ourselves like, sure, this is going to be hard. And, and hard just feels like this word out in the distance that we think we know what it means. And then when you actually live it, you're like, oh no, this is 
hard. hard. And like, it's hard because not many people understand it. Right. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, I mean, and I know I have friends who have natural born kiddos that have sensory issues, but, mm-hmm. um, that isn't as common. And so unless you're around that, it's, it, how do you explain them out down in Walmart? Right. It's usually yeah. bred from trauma. And yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, I know that you like, you like us cause we don't plan on ever having like we plan on rock always knowing that right he's special because he was adopted and never having like a sit-down conversation at eight years old to explain it and i know that that's what you guys did too so what age was it that leo was like oh this is what that means i don't have any idea do you think she just always knew or she always i mean from the from the from the day we got her home we found some way to talk about it changing diapers doing whatever and that's so cool yeah. okay talk about that you know it's just cool how god's brought us you in our life and you know and um we don't pray for her birth mamas, which is we probably should, but we have talked about that and we have prayed for her. I mean, we know her name. It's Natalia. Um, of course, that's very common. Her name, say. But <laughs> we do know mm-hmm. that's what, her, at least let me put it this way. That's what the document said her name was. Yeah. So that's all we can go by. Um, if they're accurate. Um, we just always talked about it. And so when the first year rolled around of her, when we, it was legal adoption, she was about a year and a half. We did our first gotcha day party. You know, and we so cool. We took the happy birthday melody and sang happy gotcha day to us. <laughs> happy gotcha day to us, you know. And so it just was one of those things. We just never, never, I, I don't even remember. We was always there. That's awesome. Yeah, it was always there. And she's, 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 I don't know when she, which I don't mean to hear what she says, if she can even remember that. Yeah. Or anything different, but. Well, and I'll totally, I mean, I'm totally yeah. planning on asking her that question because yeah. I'm, I mean, I feel like it takes a really special person that's willing to talk about this stuff. And I'm so honored that she is because you just don't get that perspective very often. Yeah. Um, especially someone who wasn't adopted, like at the hospital, yeah. you yeah. know? And yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So we had eight months of not there. And you know, that, I guess that'd be one of the, what was hard. That was a hard thing because I probably kept her on the bottle longer because I liked that time of holding her and feeding yeah. her. And I felt cheated. People were saying, well, I'm starting to wean my kiddo at nine months. I'm like, I just got to hold her and feed her. <laughs> and so there were some of those things you feel like you miss, you mm-hmm. know? And so probably some of that stuff, we probably delayed it a little bit. And, and there I can I can remember to this day, she would take the bottle because it was a habit. But she didn't drink it. But we just wanted that time. Yeah, but that's so important for <laughs> yeah. bonding. Yeah, it was. It really was. So, you know, so some of those maybe like little grief areas just, and, you know, and I guess that would be the thing is don't let other people's normal become your normal. Mm-hmm. Because every child is unique, whether it's natural born or adopted. You know, study your kiddo, you know, learn to recognize or be educated on possible things. You're not going to know them all, but be educated on what could possibly be an issue with an adopted child and just know them. And God has given you that child because you are the best parents for that child, which means he has equipped you to be the best parent, even when you feel like a total idiot and don't know where to go. <laughs> you just pray about it and ask God and he will give you wisdom. But you, God has equipped you as a couple to be that, that kiddo's parents. And there are many times that's all we could go back on. It's like, okay. And we would take our normal and really do everything we could to not compare to what everybody else's normal was because... And I think that that is key. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's us adoptive mamas, we slip into that so often of of comparing our lives to those with bio kids and asking ourselves why it doesn't look the same. Because we forget. And it's it's silly that we forget because it's such a huge part of our lives, Mm -hmm. adoption. But when we're like, why can't my kids just do blank, Mm -hmm. you know, or whatever... Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that that's, that's a good word. Just yeah. anyway. Um, okay. So jumping back a little bit to the mentoring thing, and then I was going to ask you some of our like lightning round questions, <laughs> but so what would you, how would you encourage someone to start the process? Because I feel like it's so important. And I've learned this because I didn't have an adoptive mom mentor for, I guess, most of this journey until a few months ago. And it's been such a blessing on my life. And and I just, I feel like so many people are living without this, even though it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I think that's a God thing because yeah. God was someone that put it on our hearts and he's going to put different types of adoption things on people's hearts. And for a lot of them, it may be actual adoptions. For some, it just may be getting involved and doing something with it. And, you know, it may be a foster care to adopt. It may be an international adoption. It may be... You know, um, I just think of some of those ministries, you know, like, what is it? Um, Maria's house. Maria's house? 
Rear's Big House from Stephen Curtis Chapman. Sure. You know, they have um, over in China, that's a, that's a house for adoptive kids if they want to, but it's their they're really special needs. Mm-hmm. And some of these I mean, parents there are completely called not, to, not only to go to China, but to go get special needs kiddos. And so I think it's, you know, God works in each one of our lives individually and will bring that on you. But I can say if you start feeling it, just explore it. Yeah. You know, just really think through issues, explore it. Don't be afraid. Um yeah, I know. I'm to this day still grateful that our family was supportive, that their questions were were very minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, we did get the question, um, well, you don't know their medical history. <laughs> Guess what, people? You don't know your medical history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. It sounds, but, but we really don't. We like to think we're in control, and we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, we had some friends at that time that discovered that their cousins had a very rare genetic disease. That had to come through both sides of the family, and they had never seen really any incidents of it. And yet they knew, and they were shocked. It was a horrible thing. And they were shocked. The doctors were shocked. The families were shocked that they had this. And here there was biological kids where they knew. They thought they knew yeah. their whole family medical history, and they did not. Goodness. And so, I, I, you know, you, we just we don't like to think we're in control or we know, but we really don't. Yeah. We really don't. So That's all. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That I. And I mean, there's always those funny times, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where you take your kid to the doctor and they ask about their medical history and you're like, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when we first were in Texas, it was not a big deal because he knew he was her pediatrician for a few years. Yeah. And then when we moved, we had a friend and we had a fabulous pediatrician in the new place we were at and she was fabulous. She was absolutely fabulous. And yeah. she just... And we were, Leah was young then. She was like barely five when we got to her. So it was not that big of a deal. And she just, yeah, she just, you know, she was just a great pediatrician. And it was very cool when we found a new dentist. We had to find a new dentist when we moved. You know, we'd been going to a pediatric dentist from right. our old place. And she had had this little slipped on the, slipped on the upstairs um, landing um, on the laminate floor. And I, I thought she had hit her knee and then her hit her face, and she was complaining about a tooth. And what I thought was this abscess tooth ended up being her losing her first tooth. <laughs> she wasn't five. She was bare, She had 90, which was almost five, but not quite, when she lost her first tooth. And so I thought this little white spot that was there was like an abscess, not realizing it was the next tooth coming in. So we were scrambling to find a dentist in a place we've lived in for not even eight weeks. And um, as we were at the dentist, he's like, you know, she's got an overbite. And he's looking at me like, well, you don't have one. I thought, well, <laughs> you know, you don't know my husband. And apparently, from what he says, if kids have an overbite, it comes, it's one of those genetic things that comes from both sides of the family. And, and so that's when I told him, I just said, well, she's adopted. And he looked and he got this really sweet little smile on his face and said, I have one of those. Aww. And we were treated like princesses from then on. Oh, that's it awesome. was. So, I mean, I still look back, and he just—it makes me cry because he was just the coolest guy for that. Yeah. And so, I feel like I mean, it's almost more embarrassing for me because I forget a lot when I take. So, like, I took Clark oh to the um, to the eye doctor, and they asked for his medical history, and I'm just rolling through our medical history, and I get to the end of it, and I was like, wait scratch all of that he's adopted and they just looked at me like i was the biggest idiot and i was like i'm just really sorry guys <laughs> because he's yours because they become a part of you you know you just can can they really feel like a family but they do they're yours yeah they're um yours. okay so lightning round here and i hesitate to call it that because these are not necessarily like uh-huh. super short answers but it's just a, a good phrase so i asked this i asked this of everyone so what do you what do you wish someone had just like grabbed you, looked you in the eye, and told you at the beginning of this journey. Well, and that's probably, I've already kind of mentioned it. It's harder than you think. Mm-hmm. And your expectations will not be what happens. Um, and I think the other thing is, yeah, your expectations, not just in terms of what normal is, but just you you can plan and plan, but it's like the rest of our life. It's just, it's going to be different. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, get rid of what a normal expectation is of what a normal child is or how it does. It just, I wish someone had really just said, you're going to have unique issues. Yeah. You know, and not that they're bad. They're just be aware of that and be aware that people maybe not understand them. That's, yeah. And that's, that's good. It. That's Because it. it's an expectation yeah. that I feel like we all have walking into it. Just and, like, you know, I'm going to get on top of this and, and we you might have not. expectations about everything in life. And you know what happens when it doesn't meet reality. Right. What did we learn when our Bible study? Oh, maybe you didn't know this. Okay. So it was a book we read. This is not an original quote with me. <laughs> that space between expectation and reality is misery. 
Yes, I remember. You, yeah, I remember. So that. I heard. I think I actually heard that on another podcast. But anyways, <laughs> I'm sorry, I read it somewhere. But anyways, it's not mine. But I thought that that is true. And so if you're going into anything in life, let alone you know bringing a new child into your family, just realize that you know ask God to show your expectations, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good advice, though. So okay, um, what do you wish you had done differently along this journey? You know, I find I don't know that we would have done too much different, but you know, and part of it was so many years ago, we had information and out there, but I think there's so much more. And mm. so, I guess what I would say is just explore some of those issues that have come out now, in terms of not that it would ever hopefully change your mind about doing that, but just so that you maybe have a little bit better grasp of potential problems, and so that you're not stuck hit by surprise. You know, and and again, you're never going to know. You're never going to know. But, you know, I think maybe, I don't know what we would have researched more, but that was one thing I think that if we maybe had some more or asked, had more adoptive parents around us, because we didn't have anybody and just try to ask questions, hard questions. And I don't even know what they would have been, but, you know, just in a normal dialogue with another adoptive family that things might have come up. Right. And just have, just have that yeah openness and i i feel like that that's one of the goals of this podcast is just to share these stories and and normalize that's, them yeah that's cool that's yeah. cool okay so what's your favorite way and you've already talked about this a little bit but the favorite way that your tribe supported you uh well i mean again it goes back to i mean our family was so excited um you know they my cousins in washington sent me a box i'm not kidding it probably weighed 40 pounds of old clothes the girls clothes because they all had girls of course, coming from um, the Seattle area down to the Houston area, most of them were useless because it was too hot. Yeah. <laughs> but, they, but that was a huge deal that they did that. Yeah. My college roommates did a, a virtual video shower. They got together, because we still get together all these years later. Yeah. They got together and, and packed up a shower for me and got clothes, and they sent it to us. Wow. Oh, I know. It was so cool. Our friends at our church had a shower at someone's house, and we had to put on a little, you know, Russian stuff and <laughs> and our youth group. Oh my gosh, the, our kids in our youth group just she was like their little sister. We never had a problem for babysitters. We never wow, you know. We just they they would play with her. They would oh, it was just we were beyond blessed, beyond yeah, blessed with that. And so I think that was just one of those cool memories. And it's fun to hear them say make comments. Now, I can't believe how big she is. <laughs> I remember when <laughs> I remember because there was um, a friend of ours and her three daughters picked us up at the airport and they had to draw straws to see who got to hold her first. And they still talk about it 20 years later. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So what about a way that you felt hurt or not supported despite maybe good intentions? Um, the immediate one is just the story I told about my aunt and yeah. uncle. And that, I didn't feel non-supported. I just, they didn't get it. So right. that for the immediate part of it, that was about the only thing. But that can be triggering when you're already so sensitive and someone asks a question that you're like, just back It off. didn't phase me, which maybe wow. it's just me. I, I was not phased. I mean, I, I understood them and I, you know, and it wasn't a question I hadn't heard before. And it's like, just trust us. You know, and I wasn't young. We weren't young. Mm. Yeah, we weren't, you know, we were late thirties. And so I just, we stood on our own and this was our decision. And that's and, awesome. You know, and, and really it's like, well, don't you love your wife? Don't you love your husband? They're not your <laughs> yeah. you didn't. That's true. Oh, it's kind of that part of it. They're not your kid. <laughs> honestly, later, you know, a little bit later, we, there were some issues that would come up with, um, and I hate to say it within the Christian community, just mm. questions that would get asked or information that, was passed on to us. Some of it was inadvertent. They had no idea. But just some of the, for me, um, viewpoints that some people took and mm. almost that we shouldn't be doing it. And so huh. that was an interesting thing. And and um, I don't know if hurt is the right word. It was just unsettling. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it almost felt judged. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's easy to feel judged. So that, I guess that would be it. So That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see, what is your, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for adoptive mamas, or I'm going to add something for you or seasoned adoptive mamas who are encouraging younger ones. Oh, I tell them do it. Yeah. Number one, just do it. Okay. Do it. If God is putting on your heart, you figure out what it is and you do it. You know, trust, trust him. He loves you. He's got a plan. If that's what he's doing, if you don't understand it. Trust him and then trust yourself because if God has entrusted that to you, he has prepared you, even if you don't feel like it. 
He has prepared you. So that would be it. Yeah. Do it. Trust God. Trust what he's given you. Well, and I mean, I think it's so great hearing it in such simplified terms because I feel like we try to overcomplicate it. We try to overthink it with all these pretty words and everything. But when it break, when it comes down, like God has equipped you, just, just, just do, do it. it. Just go. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's that's just awesome to hear it like that. And you're never going to have every question answered and it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable, but having your own kids is the same way. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it doesn't, (laughs) that part really doesn't change. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited. Too much here, but it was pretty cool. Thank you. Oh no, I, your story is awesome. And I've only, I mean, I heard parts of it. I had never heard before. And that's that's very cool. So yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. And thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.